Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness, where we question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda. Today, we'll be talking to Pastor Mark Little about the attack on our families and children through Black Lives Matters and so-called gender theory. Next, we're going to talk to Professor Richard Weikart about the history and reality of Nazism and white supremacy in Ukraine and the USA and Europe. Also, Chris Paul is going to be joining us. He is the host of the Be Reasonable podcast. He's going to be analyzing all the breaking news, so stay with us. Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. Let's get into the breaking news headlines. The recent mass shooting in Buffalo mirrored the New Zealand false flag shooting. The gunman also had the number 14 written on his gun, and he even copy and pasted parts of the New Zealand manifesto as well. The gunman conveniently listed all of the free speech websites that could be targeted by liberal politicians. Let's take a look at those images that show the number 14 on both guns there. And also, who knows what the number 14 means, but John Podesta seems to think it's an important number. Uh, yes, and also there's a tweet from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene about the fact that the FBI tried to encourage patsies in the Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot to write an ideological manifesto. So this is something the FBI is known to do, try to get people to do these crimes and try to get them to write manifestos. Maybe the FBI's, FBI is involved. Uh, we don't know yet, but we're going to keep on reporting. Well, Elon Musk, his Twitter takeover deal, it's on hold. He's trying to determine the true percentage of spam bots and if Twitter greatly underestimated the number of bots that they have, they could owe Musk a billion dollar fee. That would be quite a payoff since he bought the stock. It's skyrocketed anyway. So he's made a lot of money already. He could make even more, even if the deal doesn't go through. Is Musk you know, working with the White Hats? Is he doing some kind of really strategic plan here to expose their bots? Uh, the way that they, they manufacture perception. I guess time will tell. We're going to keep reporting on the Twitter sale as well. Well, in epic fails for the Biden and liberal PR machine, they have labeled Trump the great MAGA king. And his so-called extremist followers are called ultra MAGA. Now, they didn't know that those phrases would be lovingly embraced by Trump and his followers. So once again, we know that the left cannot meme. Well, Russia at the UN Security Council has presented further evidence of their accusations that the US and the DNC machine created secret bioweapons programs in Ukraine. They accused, of all people, the Clintons, the Bidens, the Obamas, and even George Soros of facilitating a scheme to utilize the US Department of Defense funds to create bioweapons in Ukraine. Funneled through, of all people, Hunter Biden and his company, Rosemont Seneca, through the company called Meadow Biota. The first page of the evidence they presented outlines the U.S. plan to utilize drones 
to facil facilitate the unleashing of pathogens via aerosol canisters. In the image that you're seeing, it's actually a veterinary clinic where they were growing pathogens. That is in Maripol. It makes you wonder why uh, such a uh, strong fight happened in that city and why Russia celebrated with a parade after they had a victory there. Maybe it's because that was the whole point of the operation to get that intel. And uh, so we're still waiting on more reports. Uh, all of this is in Russian, so people have to translate it and figure it out. Uh, but this is really historic for Russia, China, and their allies to rallying at the UN Security Council and challenging US hegemony uh, and really accusing them of breaking international treaties. This is amazing, unprecedented. Well, that is it for the breaking news headlines. We're going to go to a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk to Mark Little. He is a pastor, and he's exposing Black Lives Matters. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. In early 2021, a short squeeze in silver was initiated. What does this mean? It means that individual investors can take advantage of a global supply shortage in silver that the large money center banks will have to end their contracts with physical delivery of an asset that is becoming scarce to non-existent. Low supply plus high demand will cause prices to increase rapidly. The only way to take advantage of a short squeeze is to own physical silver. Call my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, over there at Sovereign Advisors. They have over 27 years experience identifying these trends so you can maximize your returns while at the same time minimizing your risk. Call them today before prices go up any further. 720-605-3900. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Well, Mark Little is an attorney, pastor, and founder of Cure America Action. Let's take a look at this clip where he tells the truth about corporate America and Black Lives Matters. Brian, these are very smart people. Before they wrote the check, we saw Black Lives Matter leadership uh, cross that bridge uh, and say, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Uh, they had a website up that made it very clear what their intentions were to destroy the nuclear family. These are communists, Brian, and these corporate titans have uh, made their living off of the greatness of this land and this country. And Black Lives Matter and its leadership, what they've done is they've gotten their reparations, but they left our police departments and our cities with the carnage. We've got a 533% increase in homicides in Portland, 132% increase in Milwaukee, and on and on. This is called crime by Coca-Cola. Crime brought to you by Peloton. Crime brought to you by Papa John's. Crime brought to you by Comcast NBC. They should know better. Yes, welcome to the show, Mark Little. Can you tell us, Mark, about this recent op-ed that you wrote about how BLM's coming after our children with this so-called gender theory? It is a, a frightening place that we find ourselves in. Uh, it's a frightening place uh, because we have sat by and we have watched self-proclaimed Marxists, which, by the way, are anti-Christ by their definition. We have watched them not only assault uh, the safety in our communities, but they have assaulted the nuclear family. Uh, you, you hear the term toxic masculinity. Uh, these folks 
have hijacked corporate America. They have raised hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. And what do we have? Just as I said with Brian Kilmeade, we now deal with the carnage. Now, you hear reports in our schools how uh, teachers are promoting uh, uh, transgender ideology, and they're doing it, and they're telling the students not to tell their parents. Uh, they, are, they are promoting uh, hormone blockers. Uh, they're promoting the idea of gender fluidity that the kids uh, have to use pronouns uh, that, that don't make much sense. And the kids are kids. Uh, they are brainwashing and confusing our children, and they are attempting to destroy the next generation. But thankfully, parents are waking up. Thankfully, the pornography that's in our libraries and our elementary schools are being exposed. Thankfully, uh, the cartoons where they're teaching our kids how to masturbate are being exposed. Uh, here's our challenge. We have a Department of Justice that now uh, has, we found out, is actually surveilling parents who stand up against these school boards and they're being labeled as domestic terrorists. That's where we need to now uh, send our attention and our focus. Uh, Merrick Garland needs to resign and attacking parents who are pre protecting their own children. Uh, needs to be our priority. And we need to allow that in the culture and we need to stand up against this foolishness coming out of the Biden administration. Well, it's all under the guise of tolerance and love and equality. Uh, but there's something quite subversive and ugly uh, underneath it all. Uh, you know, you're a pastor, so you see things through the lens of God creating family as the structure, the base structure of society. Uh, can you talk about how BLM views the family unit, mothers, fathers, and children, at male and female, all of these concepts that we kind of took for granted as uh, in Western civilization for so long, but now they're trying to disrupt something so fundamental? There's no doubt about it in terms of their agenda. And you'd have to have me back for about an hour segment to, to fully unpack that question, but I can tell you uh, that it goes back some time uh, uh, to just before the New Deal, in fact, just before Roosevelt, uh, where the nanny state was birthed. And, and you couldn't have a man in the home if you were getting assistance from the government. That's become a generational curse uh, that began with the black community, but it is really poured out into other ethnicities as well. Uh, our, our, our brown brothers and sisters, our uh, Latinos, uh, are following us in terms of the, uh, the breakdown in the family structure. And then what you have is 72% of the black homes are led by single mothers. And the Latino com uh, community is just behind that in uh, somewhere between 60 and 65%. And when you have a man out of the home, you have a nuclear structure that is broken, you have children that have no role model uh, of masculinity and male leadership. And we know statistically that two parent households succeed far greater than single parent households. That's just the fact. And so what Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation has done, it has capitalized on the trend that is already taking place in America.
And that trend is not only to, uh, to, to, to break leadership and to break masculinity. And now you've got homosexual marriage. Now you've got a transgender movement where men are now confused and they're walking around on college campuses with high heel shoes and dresses on. And what does that do to the culture? Well, first and foremost, uh, it goes against uh, what you alluded to earlier, uh, what God created. God created the male and female. And if you have men who are confused about their role in creation, what happens? You have less uh, production. You have less people being born. Uh, you've got men now who are confused about their sexuality. Uh, so they're not creating with women. Uh, they're off wearing dresses. And if they're not off wearing dresses, uh, they're in jail. You have very few men who are now standing in their rightful position as ordained by God. And the culture collapses. That's what we're seeing. Let's talk about the war of ideas here, because on the left, they're not using the Bible as a frame of reference or moral code. Uh, it's really just them with their ideas of tolerance and acceptance uh, of, of all of these things like uh, hom homosexual marriage and, uh, and this gender theory, the critical race theory, always the op oppressor, oppressed and everything. Do you think that conservatives are afraid to stand uh, on biblical principles and show what they're for, not, not just what they're against, uh, based on that? Because you pointed out, you know, two-parent homes are more successful. You could also throw out statistics about transgendered people having higher suicide rates. So it, it's not like having a biblical perspective is anti-science. It's actually aligned. Uh, what do you think conservatives or just families, you know, maybe they don't even view themselves as conservatives, just people out there can do to battle this ideology without feeling guilty, without feeling like, you know, they don't support black lives. It's a great question. Uh, foundationally, first, what we have to do is we have to understand that we have been subjected to a scam. We've been subjected to a scam uh, with, uh, with race uh, being presented in the culture as an idol. Uh, that, that's the, the, the foundational uh, a spiritual problem, and it's also a practical problem. Uh, the United States has racists in it, but it is not a racist, a racist country. So that's the starting point. And then what we have to do is we have to look at what's happened in the culture. And why do we have the decay and the confusion that we have? And you don't have to be a Christian uh, 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 to understand what's happened in the culture. When prayer was taken out of schools in 1962, that did something. When abortion was legalized in 1973, that did something to Christians and non-Christians alike. When homosexual marriage uh, was approved in, in 2015, it changed the culture. And now you have a transgender uh, agenda that is changing, uh, really, uh, our entire school system and the culture and what we uh, are being made to accept. And it's, and, it's, and it's indoctrinating our children. And so what we have to do as it's a culture is parents. isn't it? Because it, it's, uh, the culture is made up of millions and trillions of little pieces of media and interactions. Uh, we're talking about how Twitter has millions of bots, and these bots will 
artificially manufacture, uh, you know, like if there's some type of uh, Black Lives Matters post, it might get a million fake likes. And then everyone has a perception that Black Lives Matters is popular when in reality it might not be. Uh, you might have commercials and Netflix TV shows and different types of uh, I've just seen on Nickelodeon, you know, programs for kids about transgenderism and everything. They're, they're trying to put it in everything. The Black Lives Matters logo and so forth is in all these kids programming. So what are some ways that we can battle the culture? Because it feels like uh, it's overwhelming, like wherever you turn, it's there. And, and it's it seems like it's more powerful than parents uh, for their kids. But, it, you know, that's not the case. Is it, it parents still are the greatest influence on their own children? I like to answer that in two ways. First of all, we're dealing uh, not not just with the, the media and what it's saying, but we are dealing uh, with a seed of of moral relativism, where where we just want to do what we want to do, uh, and some people could even call it hedonism. Uh, uh, whatever feels good, we want to do it, and there are no there are no guardrails in the culture anymore, and that's where 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 godly men come in. Uh, but but let me now turn turn the page. You're absolutely right, though, uh, because we are being bombarded with every uh, uh, form of media, every program that we watch, uh, Netflix, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, just name them. We are being bombarded with these images. And, and frankly, uh, we have to be given the right messages in the home. Because the kids are going to be subjected to YouTube. Uh, they're being uh, uh, indoctrinated with, with pornography that parents don't even know about. And so it's insidious uh, and it is very dangerous. But what we have to do is, is take hope and see what happened in Virginia. Parents stood up and parents are the reason that we have Youngkin as a governor in Virginia. Uh, we still have voices. Uh, we can still turn this tide, but if we sit down and simply shake our heads and say, woe is me, the culture will continue to run us over. And by the way, it's a very small percentage of people in the culture that share uh, this, this, this narrative. You said a million bots. You're absolutely right. It's a very small percentage of people that think that it's okay to teach our children about sexuality in elementary school. And so that very small percentage needs to meet the majority. And it needs to meet the majority standing wherever space is allowed, in the public square, at school boards, uh, with an Elon Musk buying Twitter, wherever that space is available, we have to stand in it and we have to say no more. And it is happening. Absolutely. Fathers standing up, you know, mothers standing up at these school board meetings, standing up for family, standing up for these principles, standing up for Christianity, for the Bible, uh, if those are their beliefs, uh, and, and being unafraid, right? Because there's this, uh, this cultural war going on that tries to make conservatives and Christians feel guilty and intolerant for their beliefs. And uh, it's only when they have that misperception of being complete minority that, uh, you know, they're more susceptible to that fear. Uh, any final thoughts about avoiding fear and being courageous? Yes, here's a good example of what you've just said. A lot of people hated Donald Trump. Donald Trump said to the black community, what do you have to lose? Uh, and then he went about creating policies that benefited the black community uh, more so than any president in recent history. 
Uh, they talk about LBJ signing the Civil Rights Amendment. But the reality is, is that Republicans got that passed. And so we have to stand up and say, uh, we're not afraid to be called names. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And then go about actually putting policies in place that do good for all people. And then, and then the, the various ethnicities will look back and they'll say, you know what? Uh, they're not white supremacists. And Donald Trump got 10% of black women and 18% of black men because they said, wow. He actually did what he said he's going to do. So let's let's not be afraid to be called names. Let's embrace that old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Don't be afraid to be called a name. You're going to be called a name, but let's go about creating policies that benefit all of us. And that's how we win. Absolutely. This isn't 2016 anymore. It's not just Kanye who's willing to be courageous out there. People are waking up en masse. I'm very excited for the midterms for the next presidential race. I believe we can turn the tides all when mothers and fathers and families get together, stand up for what they believe in. Thank you, Pastor Mark Little. Really appreciate you coming on. We're going to take a quick break. We come back, we're going to talk to Professor Richard, Richard Weikart about Nazism and white supremacy since we get back. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from MyPillow, towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with a nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. This is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. The new MyPillow towels are exclusively made with 100% USA combed cotton with proprietary technology and with maximum absorbency. They dry you faster and are guaranteed to work. I'm interrupting this commercial right now. Retailers have canceled MyPillow. And to thank you for all your support, I'm going to pass the savings directly on to you. Go to MyPillow.com to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. For example, you get my dog beds for as low as $19.99 or for a limited time you can get my six-piece towel sets regularly $109.99 now only $39.99 the lowest price ever with your promo code professor richard weikart is a professor of history at california state university and is the author of darwinian racism professor weikart can you tell us about this whole darwinian uh you know race-based theory that the nazis had and where it came from and what happened did when the nazis lost world war ii it didn't die huh no it didn't die unfortunately and we just saw an outbreak of it here buffalo in the shooting uh with the manifesto which manifested the same kinds of ideas uh that hitler and the nazis had put forward uh, and by the way when i say hitler and the nazis these ideas predated them they were not invented by hitler and the nazis they were taking over ideas that were uh widespread among marginal groups in society well i shouldn't say marginal actually there were a lot of scientists and people who were embracing some of the ideas of anti-semitism scientific racism and in my book darwinian racism I look at the way that Darwinism contributed to this course as well, because that was an important underpinning of it. Uh, the idea here was that different races had evolved uh, to different levels mentally and also morally. They thought that certain moral traits were biologically ingrained and so that they evolved to different levels. And so this underpinned the ideas of racial inequality. 
Darwin himself had developed that idea, uh, talks about it extensively in his book, The Descent of Man. But then beyond that, too, Darwin also claimed in The Descent of Man that races were locked in a struggle for existence. And so this was a competition between races that Darwin was talking about. Uh, and Hitler, of course, believed that what he called the Aryan race or some, some uh, commentators at the time and scientists called it the Nordic race, that there was a superior race that was going to outcompete all other races eventually because he thought it had the highest intellectual and also moral capacities at the time. So if it didn't stop when, when the Nazis lost, you know, how did it continue? These, this school of thought, did it branch out into different uh, schools of thought? Because uh, you mentioned in your writings that there's a type of white nationalism now that is anti-Christian. I was wondering, was it always anti-Christian? Uh, are there different factions now in, in different countries, for example? Well, if you look at the history of uh, racism in the pre-Nazi period, there were uh, those that were religious and even considered themselves Christians who claimed to be racist and things like the Ku Klux Klan claimed to have a, a Christian identity, unfortunately. Uh, but if you look interestingly at the Nazis' ideology and then in the United States, if you look at the uh, middle of the 20th century, there was a key shift that took place uh, where uh, white, the, the notions of white supremacy and racism uh, became secularized. Uh, and most of the white nationalists in the late 20th century and on into the early 21st century, and certainly today, if you will go and look at actual white nationalist websites and white supremacist websites, if you look at them, what you'll find out is that they are overwhelmingly secular in their orientation. They're very often anti-Christian, anti-religious, uh, and they're promoting the ideas that Hitler had also put forward that I just described, uh, that evolution had brought about different races, that they were unequal races because of their evolutionary heritage, uh, and that because of this, uh, they have different intellectual capacities and even different moral capacities. A lot of times they will argue that uh, black Africans are have immoral characteristics. They're more prone to rape and crime and other kinds of things. And it, an unfortunate uh, but very poignant example of this is the Buffalo shooter, the shooting that just took place by Peyton uh, Gendron, where he penned a manifesto where he asked the question, uh, he, he posed a number of questions to himself and then answered them, one of which was, am I a Christian? And his, question, his answer was, no, he's not a Christian. Uh, and he even claimed that he doesn't believe in an afterlife of any kind. So he clearly wasn't motivated by religious impulses, but he does also make clear that he believes that the races are different because of their evolutionary past. Uh, and he makes that very clear. Uh, uh, and he also, by the way, embraces anti-Semitism as, as not just the blacks, although that was his key target for the shooting. Uh, and that is one of his big targets in his manifesto. Uh, but the Jews even hated uh, more. So again, sharing this also with the Nazis and with Hitler, uh, this intense hatred for the Jews and claiming that they're uh, manipulating everything uh, backward, in the back doors, uh, especially financially and in the economic system. Uh, so uh, the white nationalism today, and Peyton Gendron, and by the way, is not alone. I mean, I, in my book, Darwinian Racism, uh, the last chapter, uh, I detail 
the ways that other mass shootings have taken place by white supremacists based on a similar Darwinian kind of mentality. So the Columbine High School massacre of 1999, uh, Eric Harris, one of the perpetrators, went into that. And by the way, it was on Hitler's birthday, so that ties in the Hitler and Nazi angle. But he was wearing a T-shirt that said, natural selection. And so, and you read, if you read his manifesto, which I have done, uh, he talks quite extensively about uh, Darwinism and the Darwinian underpinnings of his worldview. There was also a situation just a couple of years ago, well, uh, three years ago, I guess now, at the garlic, uh, Gil, uh, the Gilroy Garlic Festival here in California, where a shooter uh, shot up the Gilroy Garlic Festival. And he recommended in, on social media just before he did it that people read a book called Might is Right, which was, is one of the most uh, invidious uh, social Darwinist diatribes I've ever read. Uh, in fact, the subtitle of the book is Survival of the Fittest. And it's based upon a racist notion of, of uh, natural selection and the struggle for existence taking place. So these ideas are definitely circulating today. Fortunately, it's only circulating on a fringe, but it's a fringe that is uh, going out and doing some pretty horrendous uh, acts, such as what we just saw this past week. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to comment on, the fact that these people are nobodies. They're not politically connected. Uh, a lot of the times they're young people with no political power. What about, you know, the, the military factions in, in Ukraine that use Nazi symbols and so forth? What about uh, Planned Parenthood and some of the Malthusians uh, that are at the, the top of the political world? Yeah, I'm not as uh, in tune with the things going on in Ukraine, although Zelensky himself uh, comes from a Jewish background. So I'm not uh, they're certainly not going along the, the same lines completely as the, the fascists. Uh, there are neo-Nazis probably in every uh, country of Europe and uh, the United States. Uh, I don't know how widespread they are in Ukraine. I can't really comment on that. Uh, but you're right, though, that there are other places in our society where we see these uh, dehumanizing kind of impulses. It's not always neo-Nazism or fascism. In fact, I've written an entire book uh, five years ago called, or six years ago now, called The Death of Humanity, in which I look at a lot of uh, dehumanizing ideologies, not just fascism. Uh, I look at things like uh, postmodernism and uh, Nietzschean philosophy and such and show how, and, and but also as you're suggesting, Sanger and Planned Parenthood and other groups that are trying to uh, dehumanize uh, those that are either unborn or those that uh, are toward the end of their lives. We see the euthanasia movement, of course, growing, uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide in the United States. Now there are 10 states that have assisted suicide. Uh, European countries are beginning to uh, have more and more assisted suicide as well. And so these are also issues of dehumanizing that are taking place. Uh, Darwinism is just one of the planks that's uh, that's influencing that, but it is an important uh, uh uh, ideological influence on these uh, this devaluing of human life. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if this is within your research or not, but are there other uh, groups that believe in an ethno state, uh, like perhaps the uh, Chinese or Japanese, or I've heard of a few uh, black nationalists that have also done uh, mass shootings? Do they have a similar ideology? Are they drawing on Darwin uh, or, or do they have some kind of other uh, type of guru that they turn to? 
You know, I'm not aware, I, I, you know, the black nationalists, for example, I, I don't think they're relying on Darwin in the same way that most of the white nationalists are today. And I haven't done as much uh, research on the black nationalists and such. Uh, you're talking about the Japanese. During World War II, of course, the, there were Japanese uh, racists who were trying to impose Japanese racism on Asia and such. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they were having the same biological kind of underpinnings, uh, but there certainly are uh, in the United States, uh, various groups that are promoting uh, this, these ideas. Uh, one group uh, that became known as the alt-right, uh, of course, uh, Richard Spencer being one of the most prominent uh, spokespersons for them, especially about the time that Trump came into the presidency, they were catching a lot of media attention. Uh, Richard Spencer, for example, uh, published a journal, uh, online journal, uh, for white nationalists. Uh, he wrote, for example, uh, online, he said, quote, group differences exist as consequences of evolution by natural selection. And he also said, racial differences are a natural and normal consequence of human evolution. Uh, and this is a very uh, common view among uh, the white nationalists today. If you look on their websites, right. if you look at their publications. Uh, the, the idea is that races have evolved differentially. And interestingly, they also are actually uh, re-articulating the Nazi uh, idea about how or, or why the white race they think is superior. And, and what they claim is that because of the harsh climate in Northern Europe, this meant that the uh, Northern Europeans had to be more intelligent, they had to be more cooperative uh, in order to endure those harsh climates, while the Black Africans in their tropical climates could just lie around and in leisure and didn't have to really do a whole lot to get food. They could just, you know, pick it off the trees around them kind of thing. Uh, and then they also thought that because of that leisure, they also were more prone to criminality. They weren't as... Uh, they weren't as cooperative and such. And so uh, the white nationalists today are actually uh, recirculating this idea that's been around since the really the 1890s and early 1900s that Hitler picked up on, uh, that the Nordic race is superior because of the climate and because it had the battle against the ice ages in the north. And you'll see those uh, ideas circulating pretty widely. It's, it's not in Gendron's uh, yeah. manifesto. He doesn't talk I, that detail about, about it, but it is a lot of white nationalists. Does the left and right, did the left and right start to blur? Uh, because uh, Mr. Richard Spencer endorsed Biden in the last election, uh, for example, and uh, we talked about Planned Parenthood that would be on the left. So is this a type of fascism uh, that's on the left and the right? I mean, is it, have you? That's a great that? question. And, and, you know, there's a very interesting book that a historian wrote about fascism in which, and the title of the book is Neither Right Nor Left. And the argument in that particular book was that even mid-20th century fascism, like Mussolini's form of fascism, was not a right-wing movement. It was composed of certain elements from the right and certain elements from the left. And they did have a lot of political support from the right. If you look like at Hitler's base of support, a lot of it did come from the conservative right. But of course, he called his group the National Socialists. And he took red as one of his key colors. Uh, there are blending of elements of the left uh, in Hitler's ideology. And really, it doesn't fit very well on the right and, le right and left wing uh, ideological spectrum at all. And that's also, by the way, reflected very interestingly in that manifesto that I mentioned about Peyton Gendron, the buffalo shooter here. If you read that 
manifesto, he actually says uh, that he began as a 12-year-old as a communist, and then he said he did begin drifting further to the right over time. But then he asks if he he asks the question, is am I a right winger? And he says, well, it depends on the definition. Then he says, am I a left winger? It depends on the definition. So he says, yeah, I could be a right winger. Left. But then he actually says at one point uh, that he considers himself more of uh, a, an, a, a sort of mild to moderate authoritarian leftist. I don't know what that quite means. How <laughs> you can be a mild to moderate authoritarian. Uh, but he actually pins himself more on the left than on the right uh, as a uh, nationalist. And if you look at some of the, again, the views that they embrace, ideas about, uh, you know, Darwinism and, and things like that, this does seem to fit better on the left than it does on the right. So they've taken elements from both sides and combined them uh, in rather invidious ways. Very interesting. Thank you for informing us about this. This is doesn't sound very scientific to me that they, you know, try to make no. this uh, evolutionary biology, but uh, it is interesting how they try to form their theories. Uh, this manifesto seems like the ravings of, of a madman, but uh, uh, I'm glad that you're studying it so that uh, we don't have to all read the manifesto ourselves. Thank you, uh, Professor Richard Weikart, for coming on and your book, uh, sorry, uh, Darwinian Racism. Thank you for coming on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Chris Paul of the Be Reasonable podcast. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. Now, did you know that annuities are a great way to protect a portion of your retirement portfolio from downside risk? And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they are probate free and can provide an income you can't outlive. Let a company you can trust help you select an annuity that's right for you. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's 844-USA-2024. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Chris Paul is the former Hollywood insider. He's now the host of the Be Reasonable podcast. Chris, what is the latest? What's top of your mind? I know you do a show every day analyzing the breaking news. What's going on today? Well, I think that there were some uh, interesting things popping up over the weekend, the first of which is Garrett Ziegler and the Marco Polo Group releasing 128,000 emails from Hunter Biden's laptop. You can go to uh, bidenlaptopemails.com and they have them all up there in a searchable form. You can actually just write keyword searches in. If you want to see what Hunter was talking about when it concerns Ukraine, you type in Ukraine, you hit enter and you get 45 pages of Hunter Biden emails. You type in Metabiota or uh, you know CFC or any of the other interesting uh, examples of Biden family, criminality and corruption. And you can find the whole email trail from Hunter Biden's laptop just right there on the site. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah. So that's a big yeah, one. Yeah, they're, they're releasing everything by file type. So, you know, you can go through the MP3s, the audio files and all of these things. Of course, they're redacting any type of illegal stuff and social security numbers and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're making this accessible for the public, right? Exactly. Yeah. People can just go and dig for themselves. And it's funny because, you know, there's been this weird narrative springing up lately that somehow like Marco Polo is gatekeeping 
the uh, Hunter Biden laptop, people start making up uh, all of these claims when they're not getting what they think they've been promised as fast as they expected to get it, you know, and people like lost faith, for instance, in Mike Lindell because of the cyber symposium. Like I was at the cyber symposium. I don't think that the cyber symposium was a failure by any stretch whatsoever. And uh, Lindell was actually on the Lou Dobbs show that came out this morning talking about how, you know, they filed the uh, preliminary injunctions against the voting machines in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. They're planning on filing one in South Dakota. They're plan planning on filing one in Alabama. And they are looking for plaintiffs in states all around the country, people whose elections coming up this fall and their primary elections are going to be affected by the presence of those voting machines. So he says he wants to get all 50 states. He wants to file injunctions in all 50 states. But the truth is, man, if one of them swings the right way, then that's going to be the first domino with the election machines falling completely. A court granting that preliminary injunction on the basis of the evidence presented in that lawsuit is going to say pretty clearly to the American public that these machines are not only vulnerable to fraud, but that truthfully, these machines exist to facilitate fraud. There is no other purpose whatsoever of those election machines at all. The idea that we need machines to count our votes is there's no evidence to back up that claim whatsoever. Absolutely. Yeah. Other countries are successfully not using uh, machines. Right. And I think at this and point, so uh, the average, <laughs> yeah, the average person totally does not trust uh, these machines at all. We know how things can get hacked all the time, uh, whether those government servers or corporate servers, it seems like nothing is safe. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think we should just need to go old school. And most people agree with that. Uh, going back to your comment on the, the Biden emails and, and Marco Polo and various other groups who have uh, taken a long time to organize all terabytes of information, have promised to release this information to the public, and people have been wanting it uh, yesterday instead of today or tomorrow, right? So, yeah, I think people... They get tired of waiting and they start getting suspicious, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was just saying on the show today, though, you know, people have a pretty strong degree of trust in John Durham to do his job and to do it successfully. And we are all hopeful about him being able to bring cases against all of the people involved in what he terms a joint venture conspiracy but because of the formality of the process that it's going directly through the legal system, I think people are more accepting of these delays. Nobody's complaining that John Durham hasn't released all of his information to the public. We don't even think that that's an option, right? But they're upset that an organization like Marco Polo has taken the time they believe is required to present the information in a way that it'll be publicly accessible and easily understandable. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're doing intense investigative journalism about every story that they can find brought up in that laptop. Anything they can provide evidence for, they are trying to get to the bottom of that story. And they are focused specifically on the events 
and the evidence there that points to actual prosecutable crimes. You know, they could have just dumped the entire laptop out to the public. And apparently that's what people want as if like all of the WikiLeaks were perfectly gone through and we've been able to retrieve and understand all of the stories in anything, any of the the WikiLeaks information. The truth is we've just scratched the surface on public understanding about any of that stuff. And it has all been publicly accessible for a really long time. It actually does take a skilled and committed investigative team doing all this so that the public can actually get their hands on it and attempt to understand it. People don't have the time or the skill set required to deeply investigate all of these things on their own. And all the proof indicates that the media is not going to do it. So the undertaking of a group like Marco Polo is incredible. You know, I am privy to their discussions in their process because I'm in constant contact with them. The level of work and the level of commitment should not be questioned, you know, and if the results aren't what I believe them to be and they're not what Marco Polo has claimed, then people can feel entitled to judge them based on those results. And I think Marco Polo would say the same thing. Please judge us based on the results. So, I mean, I would just right. think well, that it's, it's, it's one thing time to be patient. It's one thing to be, uh, to be suspicious before uh, th these files are released. But now that sure. many of these files have already been released, I think the... Uh, the naysayers uh, don't have any room anymore to complain. Uh, but you're right, it takes a special skill set to yeah. go through all these terabytes of information and organize it in a cohesive way. It's not just journalism, it's like uh, legal investigation, right? Because they're trying to get this information so that they can hand it over to law enforcement uh, officers and people who can actually do something with it so that uh, people who commit these crimes can be held accountable. And that takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills to do that. So I'm hopeful and I'm happy that uh, the disclosure process is underway. Uh, so what else is top of your mind, uh, Chris, today? Well, I'm definitely paying a lot of attention as always to the, uh, to the Russia-Ukraine situation. You know, Sweden and Finland have announced their intention to apply for membership in NATO. And, you know, one of the things I was discussing on the podcast today is that it's, it's odd how so many of us like default to the mindset where something is announced in the mainstream media. And we assume not only that the beginning of the process has commenced, but that the process is actually completed and it has gone one direction and now it is fully in effect. And none of that's true. NATO you know, now. all they did was <laughs> like, announce an intention. They're not part of right. NATO now, you know, but actually, you know, Chris, this this goes back to your your opinion about the, the Elon Musk Twitter deal. Right. You, you were saying from day one, this deal isn't done yet. Just hold your horses. Right. And this is the same thing with the, the Finland and Sweden announcements. Uh, they're not part of NATO yet. Yeah, you know, and I think that some of that is because the way I look at things, the way I look at these new events that are reported in the news and even stuff that we can see in reality, the uh, everything, everything I consider information among other information. It's exactly how I talk about the whole Q information phenomenon. 
It is information among other information. It must be tested against that other information. You have to see if it maps on to a coherent picture of reality. And when it fulfills those requirements, then it's valuable. It doesn't mean it's true or the only true thing. It just still remains information among other information. You have to account for it. So what we get today is the announcement of the beginning of a process. And that's all it is. You know, uh, Erdogan in Turkey already says that he does not want Finland and Sweden joining NATO. He might well veto that. Now, again, that is also not guaranteed and not true. It's just another piece of the inf of information among other information. The process itself takes months. Turkey could thwart that process on their own, and none of it will have any effect on real events for and until that process is resolved. Now, the only thing that is a caveat to that is the declared intention of NATO, of the West, of the United States, of the global communists to treat Sweden and Finland as if they are already parts of NATO, even though they are not. And the extent to which they do that will be interesting, but none of this changes real events right now, and none of it changes Russia's dominance in the actual events on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, what we have unfolding before us are two major world blocks you know, you've got the uh, pro-Russian and anti-Russian that you could call it. And the anti-Russian is the Commonwealth states and the United States and Western Europe. You know, you've got to Canada, Australia, New Zealand and, and so forth. Uh, but, but, you know, primarily you've got Germany and Poland being the ones uh, really uh, saber rattling the most, sending over the tanks and weaponry and so forth. But you've also got the whole corporate world from all of those countries in unison with the anti-Russia uh, phobia type of stuff. And then on the uh, pro-Russian side, you've got some major countries like uh, China and India and Brazil and so forth. So these are, these are really, this is for World War III kind of situation. These are some powerful nuclear armed uh, superpowers that are taking sides. And Russia put out a document about which friend, countries are friendly and which countries are unfriendly. And this goes for economics. So, you know, you've got uh, an economic block, uh, a non-American, non-US dollar denominated economic block forming. So I think this is really big news. This is not just about the borders of Ukraine and, and that conflict. This is about uh, the US and Europe and the, the old elite uh, power brokers versus the new kids on the block like China. Yeah. I mean, it seemed to me the entire time, like this is an effort to make sure that Russia does not decouple from the central banks. It seems like they have already gone through plenty of that process. If not the complete process, they've formed other currency alliances. The sanctions didn't work. The ruble is stronger. Now Russia seems to be continuing on as a society. And, you know, the sanctions primarily punished the Russian people. And to the extent that Russia's markets and currency have recovered or are recovering, then the sanctions have failed. The sanctions haven't stopped European countries from needing to import Russian resources. So there again, the sanctions have failed. I'm not actually sure what part of the Western plan in any of this has achieved any sort of success. 
the only times we are even told that the Western alliance, let's call it, is achieving any success, it is relative to a Russian goal that they have claimed Russia has, right? It's not a, it's not a goal that Russia has claimed it's had. It's a goal that Western intel communities and Western media that is controlled by Western intel communities, they have described Russia's goals and then said that Russia's failure to achieve those goals is proof of Russia's overall failure. But Russia itself has never said that, for instance, sacking Kiev was going to be one of their goals or that reuniting the former Soviet Union was one of their goals. Those are not their stated goals whatsoever. Now, Russia could be lying about its goals and our intel communities could be telling us the truth, but there's no reason to believe either of those things either. Yeah, this is one of those weird situations where uh, there, there's more of an information psychological war going on and uh, there is an anti-Russian you know, sentiment, but how much is that worth? Does it really matter what someone in Wisconsin thinks about Russia? Uh, you know, I don't think Russia cares about that. What Russia wants is to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine and, and mitigate any type of uh, threats, biological and, and so forth, threats to its borders and its sovereignty. And so we've got a, an information war on one side where, you know, the West can, can win the information war and still lose the military war. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess we're going to have to see how this develops with the whole UN Security Council. Major accusations of breaking international treaties with uh, biological weapons. So this is still unfolding. Thank you for coming on. Chris Paul from the Be Reasonable podcast. You can join us every week and get his analysis every single uh, week here on Making Sense of Madness. Thanks for joining. We're going to take a quick break and get my final thoughts. Thank you for watching American Media Periscope, America's Patriot-only network. Interesting show today, three different guests, three different perspectives, and there was a common thread that went through all of them about this left versus right, you know, the subversive element versus family and truth and, and love and God. And so, you know, getting Pastor Mark Little's perspective on Black Lives Matters and that organization and what it's trying to do is very similar to what uh, George Soros is trying to do, what the Nazi battalion in Ukraine is trying to do. Uh, 
what the deep states and the Planned Parenthoods of the world are trying to do. They're on the left, they're on the right, they're in politics, they're out of politics, they're in popular culture. They're trying to divide us and conquer us, us, we the people, white people, black people, Latino people, people of all kinds. In fact, I'm seeing in China today, many Chinese people being locked down by their own government and they're experiencing similar shortages that we are experiencing in the West. Shortages of baby formula, shortages of food, shortages of gasoline and so forth. So this is a war being waged on we the people of all sovereign countries. And so uh, it's really not us versus them as far as uh, sovereign nations. It's not really US versus China or US versus Russia. It's, it's the globalists, it is the overarching subversive elements on the left and the right. We learned today that Nazism and fascism is apparent in leftist movements and rightist movements as well. It's really just a name uh, that you categorize. Interesting to talk to Professor Weikart about that, about these mass shooters who put out these manifestos and they put out these theories of evolution and tried to make some kind of cohesive thing. And then the mainstream media runs with it. And all of a sudden, you've got uh, the Department of Homeland Security and FBI, and they're involved as well. And they're, here you've got government, military, media, all coordinating, all with the same talking points. That's why it's so important to have alternative media like ourselves to question the mainstream narrative and get these different perspectives. Uh, great to talk to Chris Paul today about Russia-Ukraine, about these two different blocks that are being formed. You know, we're so used to the West being the good guys uh, in World War II versus fascism. But now, you know, with the West locking down their own people, force vaccinating their own people, censoring their own people, uh, it's not so easy to categorize the West as the good guys anymore. No, I like to think of the bad guys as the deep state. That's right, you've got the deep state in the media, in the government, in big tech, in all countries. Get the deep state in China too. Who do you think is trying to stop their people from eating? That's right, we've got the deep state in Russia and China and the United States. They're trying to divide us and conquer us, but we're staying united, we're staying active, we're defending our rights, our liberties, our values. Thank you for watching Making Sense of the Madness. Get my updates at seanmorganreport.com. God bless. All you patriots, good night and good luck.